Good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. Love this time of year. Thank you, Advent readers and candle lighters. They look a lot like our worship team. Um, they were emphasizing the word hope and talking about how Israel was looking for that because of what was going on. And that is where the Old Testament moves into the New Testament, into the Christmas story. I've titled today's message, The Mission of Christmas. I've been here more than a decade, and sometimes I preach on the same sub subject many times. And so Christmas, uh, you preach a lot. And I've looked for ways to preach Christmas messages in, in a fashion that makes you think about something in a way that you may not have. Last year, we emphasized worship during the Christmas season. This year, I would like us to find mission, God's mission within Christmas and how it drives us forward in our own mission, not only personally, but just the mission of the church to take the gospel to the whole world to share with them about Jesus Christ. But here in the Christmas uh, mission, uh, I put, I found, highlighted one verse that kind of articulates the mission. Matthew 1, 21, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, we're going to start in Matthew today and it's Christmas and we're going to find missions within Christmas. But at the end of the message, what I want to do is walk you over to the book of Acts and show you how God was fulfilling that mission in the book of Acts and the principles both in the Christmas story and in Acts will apply to us as God calls us to our own mission here today. Now let me read to you the passage we're going to study. It's in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, I just pray as we look at this passage that you help us see your mission in it. See how it uh, calls us into our own personal mission, but also to, in doing so, we fulfill the mission of the church in the Great Commission to make disciples in every nation. We lift this up in Christ's name. So we have here the mission of Christmas. Now, um, I'm going to ask the question, how will God accomplish His mission? 
And as I go through this passage, I'm going to highlight four things I noticed that I observed and how he's going to accomplish his mission. Because going into that Old Testament, we had the Advent uh, reading and candle lighting, and there was a lot of Old Testament scripture there. There, were, there was the people of God in the Old Testament looking forward for that hope. As James was reading, they had been conquered and conquered and conquered again by different nations, and they were crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. They're looking for something in the future. And when we move into this Christmas story, chapter 1 of Matthew, the first that we get in the New Testament, how is God going to accomplish this mission? And remember the mission. The, the, the mission was He will save His people from their sins. Now, here's my first point, because it's foundational to everything else, and that is this, that it is God's mission, not your own. It's God's mission. Because we tend to think of ourselves as being the masters of our own destiny. We'll talk about that as we go. You're going to see that we make plans, but God has a mission that transcends all of our plans. We've got to fold into that. And when I read through it, I was, I was noticing some things in the passage that, that allude to this, specifically actually, that it's God's mission. For example, I, I started in verse 18. Let me back up to verse 17. I just notice three numbers in here. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. What specificity there when it comes to numbers and how they fit like a pattern. Now, if you read all through chapter 1, you're getting the cre credibility of Christ's resume because He comes in this line of succession. But in that you get, I started with Abraham, and there's almost exactly three, 14 generations to this point, and then 14 generations in the middle, and then 14 generations to lead up to Christ. You see the plan of God working. I've got a plan to save the world. And in that plan, you can see design. It's not by accident that it's numbered out that way. But also, I would point to verse 23 that I read to you, where the writer Matthew says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's from the Old Testament. Why can he say that? Because it's part of God's plan, and God's plan already knows how it's going to unfold. Exactly 14, exactly 14, exactly 14, then we're going to get here, and God will be with us. We're going to call him Emmanuel. Maybe over here they thought, well, yeah, he's with us in spirit, or he's empowering a leader. He's with us. No, no, no. God is going to leave heaven, put on humanity, and actually be with us on the ground. They weren't thinking that, but it's His plan. Now, not only is it God's, God's plan, it's, it's God's mission, not our own, but number two, God's mission may change the plans you have in place. So watch this. We pick up in verse 18. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, when I read that, the thing that stood out to me in the context of God's mission was they already had some plans. Their plans were, we're getting married. That means there had been some process that led up to them. We're going to be betrothed. We're promising us to one to another. There's a, there's a wedding that's going to be planned and everything that unfolds from that. Just like you, in your personal lives, make plans. You have plans. And perhaps your plans are, I'm going to move through, I look at all these military guys, through the ranks. I've got some idea about how that's going to, maybe your plans, I'm going to college, going to get an education. Maybe you have plans. And I'm going to tell you, that is, that is great. It's better to have plans than to be lazy and have no plans. However, God has a plan that's higher than any of ours. And sometimes he comes down and he's going to interact with us and call us into his plan. And sometimes that's going to affect the plans that you've already laid out. So Joseph is grappling with that. Just imagine you're betrothed, you're engaged, and then suddenly the woman that you're going to marry is pregnant. They haven't been together. Before they have been, have they, they've come together, it says. She's found with child from the Holy Spirit, Matthew writes. Although Joseph doesn't know that in the moment. It's not as if he saw, oh, she's pregnant. Oh, the Holy Spirit. No. That's not, that's not going to be the first thought, right? First time ever in the history of man. We're not going there with that, that as a possible reason. And so he's, he's working this through his mind. How am I going to deal with this, right? There's options. He could just divorce her. He could publicly, I mean, it would be shameful. Hey, she was unfaithful, obviously, so this is over. But that's not the kind of man Joseph is. His other option is to, I mean, he could marry her. Okay, you know, I really love her. I'll just be the father of another, of another man's child. Could, it could be the thought, right? Or this other option, which it talks about. I'm going to do this, but quietly. I'm going to end it. We're going to dissolve it, but we're not going to make a public spectacle of this. And he's contemplating this. Now, what I want you to see is that there's a lot of planning going on. First, the plan that involves betrothal and wedding. Then the planning going on in his mind. How am I going to deal with this problem? Now, I want to share a verse with you. This verse means a lot to our family. Proverbs 16.9. It says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And, and I, other translations say it slightly different, but it, essentially it's like we make our plans, and here's my plans, but then God comes down and He makes where our steps are going to go more sure. He says, no, no, you're, gonna, you're not going to step quite there. I'm going to move you over here. He directs the steps. We have the grand plan of the direction, but He comes down and He, he puts the feet where they should go. I'm going to be betrothed. I'm going to have a wedding. Uh-oh, now I'm going to have another plan, another plan. And then what's going to happen is God's going to come in and lead Joseph. But you need to keep that in mind. Whatever your plans are, God has a mission. And sometimes he comes into your life with that mission. And he calls you into it. And the act of doing so means that he might have to redirect your steps. And you need to be flexible when it comes to that. 
the reason I say this verse means a lot to our family is, you know, we have a bunch of sons, and uh, I can remember there being a time when they were younger, going into high school, where, and tattoos were getting popular, and, you know, I grew up pretty conservative, son of a preacher, and it was like tattoos. I only saw tattoos on, you know, bikers, and, you know, it was like, I'm never getting a tattoo, and and then people were getting tattoos, and my sons were, hey, could we get a tattoo? And as a father, like, that's pretty permanent, so no. You can get a tattoo when you are on your own, and then it's your own thing, but right now, I'm going to use my fatherly oversight to say no, because maybe you, right now, as a youthful guy, you say, I like this, and then later, you're like, no, why did you let me do that, you know? These were kind of my feelings about it, and then as our son's our two older sons got around high school and in college, you know, they ended up with a tattoo. And we did relax a little on that. But my son, Ethan, which I haven't said this, but just a few weeks ago, he won two silver medals at the uh, Pacific Games. I don't know if anybody knew that. Um, but that actually is part of the story. Because he got those medals, he's there's conversations about him. He's being invited places, but he's in school. He's also got classes at UOG, and we're having these conversations. And so the tattoo that my son, Ethan, got is this verse, that verse. He put a tattoo, which, by the way, going back in time, it was like, they can't have a tattoo. And then my wife's like, you know, well, at least it's a Bible verse, you know. <laughs> you know, and then I'm like, and so, so, and so he has this on, on him, right? And it's like, now, and I kind of look backwards, it's kind of funny because it's like, you know, a young man, it's going to be cool to get a tattoo. The, the pursuit of coolness has become a tool for mom and dad to use to direct them in their life. Oh, you're trying to make a decision. Just look at your tattoo. You know, it, you know it's just a good way of using, making use of things, right? And so this is exactly what, it's like, well, what is the Lord, how is he directing your steps? And this is what would go through Joseph's story here. It, it, it applied to him. You've got plans, but how is God directing your steps? See? Now, um, let's take those first two and go to the third one, which is God's mission is guided by His faithful word. Because how does He direct that step? Well, one of the ways is through His Word. His Word is faithful. And in the story, the way the Word is given to Him is unique. In the Matthew passage, he com the Lord comes to Him in a dream. In the Luke account, an angel comes to Mary, but what is said to them is the Word of God. And it goes into the Bible, and it's forever now the Word of God, what was said. Now, I've never been directed by the Word of God that way. He's never came to me in a dream. I've never had an angel show up to me. But I come here all the time to be guided by God's Word. And when I have plans, and then God's mission comes into my plans, and then He begins to redirect my steps, let me show you what happens when you go to God's Word. Number, let, let's look at uh, um, verse 20. But as he considered these things, there's a thinking, the planning going on, going on. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus Jesus. 
for he will save his people from their sins. Now, as I read that, two things stood out to me. Number one, when you go to God's Word, it has a way of helping you grapple with and deal with anxiety. What am I going to do about this situation? And, and right there, because what does he say to him? He says, do not fear. That has direct application to stress, anxiety, fear. It's nudging you towards God's in control. It's pushing you towards peace found in a sovereign God. Do not fear. And you know what else you get when you go to God's Word? You grow in knowledge of who God is. And that helps you make decisions. Because in that, he's giving him knowledge. That which is in her is from the Lord, from the Holy Spirit. Well, that wasn't known before, but when I, when I get that word from the Lord, now I know. And sometimes, especially as you're young and you're growing up in your faith, there's a lot to know about God. You don't know it all. You go to his word, and he teaches you, and he corrects you, and he affirms you. God directs your steps through his word. Go to it. Let, it. let it melt away the anxieties that culture and life bring to us and let it guide you in, and grow you in your wisdom as you try to make decisions. Now, I put in here also the Luke because I want you to hear how it went with Mary. I'm just going to flip over there real quick and it says, and he came to her, this is the angel, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, and here it is, Do not be afraid. Just like with Joseph, right? Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, very similar. The word of God do not be afraid, helps you deal with the, the hardships, that, that, the challenges that are there, and then it also informs you. And that's what we show you in both of them. So what you have is, is God, God's mission belongs to Him. He's going to come into your own life where you've often got plans going on, and He's going he's to redirect your steps and often... What will happen is God's Word. Sometimes He uses people, heroes, angels, but He's going to redirect your steps with His Word. Now, I put here, how will God accomplish His mission? And I have a question, who is Mary and Joseph? Right? Because when you, when you go backwards in the Old Testament, right? I mean, the, the people God used, the great men and women in the Old Testament that he used, and now you're coming out of the Old Testament in the New Testament, and it's like this first character you're giving us in the story of how you're going to accomplish this mission is who? It's like a sea of people, and you picking Joseph and Mary, who are they? What, what do they have about them? What quality do you see in them? Because when I go over here, and I start to look at what you did in the Old Testament, who you used, and I compare them, it's like night and day. I mean, 
I put them up there. Noah, Noah built an ark. He spent a lot of years engineered architecture building that. Joseph builds chairs, cabinets, tables, a carpenter. I mean, it's small peas compared to Noah. Yet, you're going to use Joseph? And then you go, Moses? Moses led all the people of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness. He, met a, he, he led a million people through the wilderness. What did Joseph's going to lead one woman? Don't make any jokes. He's going to lead her, just her, or Mary and the baby as they flee to Egypt? I mean, small time compared to who he used in over here. You've got Joshua. Now we get to the promised land. Joshua, fight the battles. Be a general. Drive them out. He's a great warrior over here. Joseph, Herod's looking for you. Run away. Over here, David, he's a king. He's royalty. He raises sons up. He sets a son up to succeed him. Over here, I'm not a king, yet you're giving me the king of kings. Do you see that? And there's an aspect where, I, where if you didn't know anything and you're just following the grand narrative of Scripture, this ark, you go, what is this? Why pick them? And that's my fourth point, is that God uses ordinary people to accomplish His missions. And the reality is that many of the great people I talk about started out like a Joseph and Mary. It's just that God sees some quality within them and then calls them to something. What did he see in them? It doesn't give us a lot, but you can draw quite a bit from that. It says Joseph was just. He was a just man. He was not vindictive. He was not revengeful. Why are you pregnant? I'm... Prone to aggressiveness? No. You can see the love that he had for her, the grace that he had in himself. The word just means he sought to make the right decision. You can't have that quality as a description of you if you only sometimes seek that. The regular thing we see in you as a just man is you're trying to make the right decisions. We get the word justice from that. You want the right thing to be vetted out. What do we get from Mary? I read it from the Luke account, which was twice it says she's favored. You see her humble. You see her receiving God's word, and God saw this humility in her, a grace in her, that's why he favored her. But not only that, you also see in them that they're both obedient and they're both servants. Because when you follow through with this, it says, um, Joseph, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I see in that that he was obedient in three ways, which was he married her. That was the first one. I'm not going to put her away quietly. I'm going to marry her. And not only that, but he kept her pure. says he didn't know her intimately. He kept her pure, but then also he named him Jesus. And I always think that's an overlooked aspect because anyone who's a mother or father, that's a big deal to kind of come up and you get to name. That's the one thing your children will make many of their choices of their own. What school, what job, what, who they marry, but you choose their name. And they don't get that. The name is given to them and they obediently call him in the word Jesus means Savior. He is going to save his people from their sins. And they name him that, Jesus. Now, let me just read over to, flip over to the Luke account real quick again. And let me, let me read to you Mary's response after her whole account. It says in verse 38, chapter 1, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her response is, I'm a servant. Now just think about that. If you're a servant, there's someone over you. And your job is to do what they say. You have a boss. The boss comes and says, I need you to do this. You're not, well, I don't know. Let me think about it. You do it because they're the boss. God, the king, has come and said to her, this is my mission for you. And she says, I am your servant. And not only that, she says, let the words that you've said, let it be. I want it to come true. I want your plan. I want your mission to be accomplished. That's her response. So they are both obedient to his word and they are both servants. Now, if God, so let me, let me put, put the four up there together. Well, hold on. So this, this was the mission, the mission of Christmas, right? She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Now, I was thinking, as I was saying that, that you have these four aspects together that I'm observing. As God is redirecting your steps, you've got plans, his mission's coming in, you go to his word, you need to respond to it. Because God's word is true. The one thing about this is it's truth and it's faithful. And when you go in there and you find it correcting you or you find it shaping uh, your thoughts about something in culture or a decision you need to make or a relationship you have, don't try to bend it to yourself. God's word is not bendable that way. And when God's word speaks, you have to respond like Joseph, like Mary, and their situations are so, I mean, outrageous by our standards. Two people, she's pregnant, and you're, I mean, I, what did Joseph's buddies say? I mean, can you imagine? I see all these guys here. Hey, you know, I'm going to get married to this girl, but she's pregnant. Well, what are you going to do? Well, the baby's from God. I mean, it's like, it's like, 
you're not going to get much support. But responding to God's word, despite sometimes what others say, what culture says, because you know God's word is faithful. Now, all of this goes into that mission. The mission is that he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take the Christmas story right here, the mission within Christmas, and I'm going to just step over here for a second. And we're going to go to one scene in the book of Acts. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want you to see the mission of Christmas in action through the New Testament. How is he going to save people from their sins? Because, and here's the scene. Let me give you the scene. It's in Acts 11:26, And I shared this maybe a month or so ago in a sermon. But it says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. His name, Jesus Christ. Over here in Antioch, the first time ever in the history of mankind, somebody takes on the label of Christian. And when I look across the room, I see a lot of Christians. You wear that name, the name of Christ on you. But that's chapter 11 in Acts. How come it took to chapter 11? And the answer is, because as God gave, as Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, they went into action. They preached and thousands and thousands of people came into the church and the church exploded. But the problem was it was all Jewish. Look at this picture. It's a Jewish man and a Jewish woman with a Jewish child in a Jewish city and a Jewish nation. And yet Jesus said, Go into all the world. Reach every nation. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. How is it that Christmas suddenly became only Jewish for half of the book of Acts? They got stuck. And in chapter 11, where it says they first used the name Christian. Well, in that chapter, prior to that, moment where they were first called Christians, there's a scene. And the scene is that there's an argument going down in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, the argument is, why are you trying to reach Gentiles? Why are you trying to reach people who aren't Jewish? And there's an argument. Peter stands up and Peter preaches and he explains that God came to me in a vision and told me that the gospel is for everyone. There it is. God's mission, and they have plans for how they're growing a church in Jerusalem, but God's mission comes in and is going to redirect their steps. Where do they go? God's Word. God's Word came to me, Peter says, in a dream and affirmed it. Now, I want to show you this, the mission of Christmas in the book of Acts. Number one, it's God's mission. Ephesians 3, 6, Paul writes later on, he says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Meaning, it's always been God's plan that the Gentiles, every single person on this planet who's not Jewish, can become part of my church. That's always been my plan. But there was a while where it was a mystery. People didn't know that. And so as the Great Commission was unfolding in Acts... And then it gets stuck in Jerusalem. God's going to 
make the mission happen. He comes down and he begins to redirect. He's going to mess with the plans. We got our plans. We got our programs. We got our people. Heck, we even got this new thing called a youth pastor. They're crazy. I'm being facetious. But he's, he's changing the plan that they have. He's redirecting their steps, and he affirms it through his word. He tells Peter. He tells Paul. Because well, well, number two, God's mission may change the plans you have in place, which I just said. Okay, they were stuck. But God's mission is guided by his faithful word. Because Paul writes in Acts, or it should, I should say Ephesians. Ephesians 3, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So he tells Peter in a, in a vision, and then he tells Paul in a revelation, he says, the gospel is for Gentiles. How's he going to accomplish the mission then? Because the whole church is stuck. Well, it go back to what I said about Mary and Joseph. He's going to use ordinary people. Let me show you this. Okay? We're in Acts. They had the argument. And it says in verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. I just think that's phenomenal. God, here's God coming in. You got plans about a big church in Jerusalem. What does he do to break it up? Persecution. Suddenly the church starts to flee outside the city because per persecution's going on. It says they went as far as Phoenicia to Cyrene and to Antioch. But what does it say? Did you hear it? But everywhere they went along the way, they wouldn't share the news with anyone unless they were a Jew. <laughs> I'm going to send you into Gentile areas but they're still not talking to Gentiles, only Jews. And then something remarkable happens. It says in verse 20, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Did you just catch that? There was a group of people who, as they went out, they got to Antioch, and they said, we're going to go talk to the Hellenists, the non-Jews. And the Lord was with them, and a great number believed. And do you know what's the thing I want, to, want you to see in that? Ordinary people. There was no pastor there was no missionary sent in that moment. They were just going outward, and God had called them into that mission in that moment, and they responded. There wasn't an organized plan. God was breaking the church up, pushing them outward, and yet they shared their faith. They crossed a cultural barrier. I'm going to trust God's word. We've heard from Peter. Peter just said in a vision, God told him the gospel's for Gentiles. So that's God's word. I need to respond to that. I need to be faithful to that. As they went, maybe they weren't good at it right away because it says a lot of them didn't share. But when they got to Antioch, they shared their faith. And God did something with that. And the, the thing that is, to me, it's like there's no names of any of them. The greatest church in the book of Acts that God uses for missions to accomplish His great commission 
We don't know the names of them. All through Acts, Peter, Stephen, James, we know the names in that first great church in Jerusalem, the foundation, but we don't know. We don't know the names. I had this thought that one day I'm going to be in heaven, and there's so much time, you need to get to know people. And he'd be like, what's your story? Well, I was in Antioch. What? You were one of them? I was. We were in the Antioch church. Your name's not there, but you're represented for all of time. The Word of God will never fade for all of time. What you did is in, recorded in God's Word, and we don't even know your name. Now, by the way, what's your name? And in heaven, I'm going to know his name or her name or their name, right? Ordinary people. And there's a way in which, I mean, they're anonymous, right? Anonymous servants, faithful. And in that, I want you to see these four principles. How will God accomplish His mission? Number one, the foundation is God's mission. He's got a plan. Number two, I know you got plans, but sometimes your plans are going to change because of God's mission. God's plans. He's going to come. He's going to redirect your feet. And we see it in the Christmas story. The Christmas story folds onward into the book of Acts, where we see it taking place in the book of Acts, the Great Commission. That, that little Christmas child is going to go all over the planet because of these principles. Number three, God's Word guides us. We're going to struggle sometimes as He, he brings about change in the plans that we have, respond to His Word. Go to His Word. Grow in His Word. Melt anxiety away in His Word. And know that He can call anyone. I mean, I look out here. Who among you is a Noah? Who among you is a David? Or a Moses? I don't know, but... There's a lot of regular folk. There's my Oklahoman coming out. Y'all are ordinary. Ordinary people that God will use to do extraordinary things. I don't know what the mission is that He might call you to specifically. Part of it is that you are part of God's church in a way that you plug in and God uses the body corporately in local areas. But He's going to call you to mission. He may redirect your steps. Now, I just want to land this with three thoughts for you, kind of exhortations. And I put up here, how will God accomplish His mission with you? This is what I want you to take with yourself. Number one, stay true to the mission despite pressure. Despite pressure. Because, I mean, Mary and Joseph, we're going to find it in both the stories. Mary and Joseph, a lot of pressure, right? I mean, my, uh, socially, in the community, look at her, she's pregnant. Did you hear about them? The gossip, the perception, pressure on Joseph. What, what are you doing? Your, tell, your story is, maybe you didn't tell him. I don't know. It doesn't give us some of those details, but the, the pressure had to have been obvious. Those anonymous servants, maybe some of it pressure in that don't talk to the Jews, but also the persecution. Pressure from don't label yourself Christian. See, 
I said this in the first service. The word Christian, it, it didn't exist. You know why it, it, it came up in, in Antioch? Because the church before only in Jerusalem, this was like a, an offshoot of Judaism. It was all Jews. Well, you can't make that label fit a, a Gentile church. So we've got to have another label. What's the label? Well, they're following. Over here, Messiah it was like a, a Messiah cult. We believe that Jesus that you killed was actually the Messiah. That was a big difference between the believing Christians uh, and the rest of the Jews. Over here, they're not Jewish, but Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to follow that, that. We're Christian. The pressure to not identify with that, the pressure to not talk to Jews. Stay true to the mission. If it comes from God, then stay true to it. And then secondly, stay true to the mission despite cultural influences. Some of those influences I've already gave you in the first one. It could have been don't talk to the Jews. But in the Christmas story, there's a lot I didn't have time to camp out and tell you about. You know, the, the King Herod and he, his relationship with Rome and the politics of that day were intense and very divisive. There were many factions, many groups. That's why when Christ gets on the scene, there's the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It's like all these political parties almost, and they're at war with one another. And the only thing they can come to agreement on is we need to kill that Jesus guy. The influences that were there over here in the book of Acts, the influences which I laid out, not to mention that coming out of Jerusalem and landing in Antioch in Gentile regions, they really had to grapple with pagan, um, other religions as well. Stay true to the mission. We have a lot of cultural influences in today. It seems like in every strata of society. And we need to really ground ourselves here and not be afraid to keep our feet where God's Word tells us our feet should be. And then lastly, I put here, stay true to the mission despite the social, and I use the word affluences, because people can be more affluent than one another. There are a lot of different levels of social strata in the communities we live. Sometimes the stratification is economic. Sometimes the stratification is educational or professional. But over here you've got God uses this humble kind of the anonymity of His servants almost. It doesn't matter if you come from high class, from wealth, from, from education, from profession. And it's not to say that those are bad, because we're going to see that God can use that too. I mean, there's the Magi in the Christmas story as well. But it doesn't matter is what I'm saying. Whatever the strat stratification that exists, wherever you land, economically, educationally, professionally, athletically, still, stay true to the mission. And work within the strata that God's given you 
looking for the opportunities to cross barriers. That's part of the story too. This Christmas, as we go through this, this is what I'd like to do. To take little scenes in the Christmas story and show you how missions is in it. And then to come over here and show you God carried that over into Acts. And you know what? It comes all the way to this year to you. Because the principles are true. God has a plan. And His mission sometimes is going to come into your own plans. And He may redirect your steps. Go to His Word, like we said through this message. Grow in your knowledge of Him. Be affirmed in the right things. Melt anxiety away. And lastly, that leads you into it's ordinary people, but anyone. Anyone that can be used, which means everyone. Everyone can be called into mission. We're going to go into our time of communion today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. During the last song, we're going to take God's Word and it moves us into our worship. This song is our response to the message, to His Word in our personal life. Prepare your hearts because when the song's over, we're going to go into communion and we're going to tie in the meaning of this Christmas uh, lesson into communion. We're going to combine Christmas and Easter in communion. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for your message. Thank you that it has a way of finding its place into our hearts. It becomes personal. You're talking to us, everyone that's sitting here in a chair, that the Christmas story has application to us living some 2,000 years later. Christmas is about missions. Christ left His home. We're sitting here in comfortable cushioned chairs. Christ left a throne. But you're calling us to leave, to go outward, to be aware of what your mission is, to allow it to guide us through your word. I pray that this Christmas season would be a time where we are awakened towards mission, to share our faith, to serve in ways that your church needs, that the gospel needs. So we commit all this up to you. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask you stand.